This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. All right, let's let's get to it. Um, let's start with the uh, the introduction. Let's let's talk about what is anxiety. Let's talk about what is anxiety. And I'm going to make it very simple, um, even though it's a very complex subject. I'm going to do my best to make it very simple. Anxiety from the Bible. Let's talk about this word from the Bible, okay? Where you see this, this scriptural term, be anxious for nothing. Or we see this term where it, it talks about, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled with many things. We'll get to this scripture, by the way. This, this word anxiety is a word, the word merimno, which is basically what it means is it means that somebody is divided into parts. In other words, they're broken into pieces. They're shattered. They're divided. They're anxious. That's what the word means, okay? It actually has a positive context too, right? So the positive context is, it's the, it's the same root word, merimno, is used effectively in distributing concern in proper relation to the whole picture. So it has the same word. Essentially what the word means is it means you care, you're concerned, right? It actually says, the scripture tells us that when somebody loves their wife or their husband, right, they care, it's the same word, they care about the things of the world, how they may please their spouse. And then it goes on to say, Um, that if you're single, that you will care, it's the same word, you will care about the things of the Lord and how you may please the Lord. So it could be a positive word, it could be a negative word, okay? Just like some of our words, okay? Now, here's the deal. Anxiety, the definition, the psychiatry definition of anxiety is slightly different. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's a little, it's, it's very much closely rooted, though. And we're going to tie it together here in a second. So generally people think of anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Okay, the psychiatry definition is is they call it just simply a mental condition with excessive apprehensiveness, with real or perceived threats, typically leading to avoidance behaviors and often physical symptoms such as increased heart rate and tension. So, everybody can and does have anxiety, if that makes sense. Anxiety is a very misunderstood thing because some people, even people that have it, don't understand why other people don't have what they have. Here's a clue. Everybody has it. It's just that some people have anxiety turned up, their volume of anxiety turned up because of their anticipatory nature because they see things. Now, listen to what anxiety actually is. There's this little thing in the brain called the amygdala. Say amygdala. Amygdala is there. God put that thing in our brain to help us understand threats. That amygdala, what it does is it releases chemicals into the bloodstream, cortisol and adrenaline. Or epinephrine. You're getting a little doctor lesson from me. I'm not a doctor, but I can pretend to be one just like all of us do. 
<laughs> so the amygdala, actually what it, what it is, is it actually tells you when there's a threat. Here's the deal about the amygdala. Some people have more inflamed amygdalas because they've been worried excessively and concerned excessively about things. Now here's what's interesting about the amygdala. They, they removed a bunch of, uh, they took a bunch of chimpanzees, removed their amygdala, and let them go on with normal life, okay? They went back to find these chimpanzees and all of them were dead. You know why they would die? Because all the perceived threats, they didn't have them anymore. So any kind of attack, any kind of um, predator that would be after them, they'd be like, ah, I don't care, whatever. And guess what, they got eaten, right? They got attacked. They didn't fear jumping from large trees onto the ground, right? They just lost any sense of fear. So the amygdala is in your brain for a reason. God put it there. Now here's the deal about anxiety. Anxiety is essentially your brain telling your body there's a threat. So there's cortisol, adrenaline, sending into your bloodstream, which creates the panic. Now, here's the deal about this. Most of the time, now, this is a simulation. There is no real threat. It's a simulation. This is why we start having, that's, this is why people end up in what they call anxiety disorder. Anxiety disorder, which essentially is when we get to a point where anything triggers that cortisol adrenaline. Anybody ever been there? Where, where the panic turns on like that. So let me put it this way. Your panic attack wasn't built in a day. It's not built in a day. Now, even when I first, I had my very first panic attack. Now, listen, I was a lughead. I didn't have anxiety. My wife used to tell me all that. She'd be like, I, my, my, my chest is tight. I'm having a hard time breathing. I'm concerned about this, this event. I'm like, well, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about that. We're going to make it through. Don't worry. I, I didn't get those, those, those physiological responses, right? I was kind of a lughead, right? Just going about. And then all of a sudden, I had my first panic attack, right? And I'm like, it, it happened in a moment. It didn't happen in a moment. In fact, I can trace back to a, a series of bad, dysfunctional thinking and living and acting for a very long time. And then all of a sudden... Boom, right? All of a sudden, it, it just hit me. And this is what a lot of people, when I, when I talk about this subject, you hear this term, genetic predisposition, right? Anybody heard this term? Genetic predisposition. There's a genetic predisposition for everything, my dear God. What, <laughs> you're fat? <laughs> there is, every, there's a genetic predisposition for everything. Listen, your brain, there's a little thing called neuroplasticity. You may get your feet from your mom or your dad, your eye color for your mom or your dad, and all these different things. Your brain changes literally every hour, all the time. Your brain is constantly changing. Do you know you can rewire your brain? They've done studies on prayer, just prayer, just prayer. And they're seeing that just a person praying to a higher being positively affects their 
brain chemistry. Positively. There are many things that positively affect our brain chemistry. I'm not saying it's coming overnight. We think that, oh yeah, just turn it back on. No, it doesn't happen like that. When you get down, it's kind of hard to get back up. So, what they're, the studies is what they're learning about, about this thing, what they call cognitive behavioral therapy, that putting that together, together with mindfulness, by the way, mindfulness is, you're like, I don't do yoga. Mindfulness isn't yoga. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, it has no roots in any Eastern religion at all. Okay. All it means is you're in the moment at the time. Feel the pain, right? You're at, you're at dinner with your wife. Stop looking through your phone, right? Deal with what you're dealing with. You're in worship service. Stop looking at what you're doing in the next thing. Be in the moment with your people, with, with the people around you. And by not anticipating every single event, Jesus talks about this. Do not worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry for itself. Today, there's enough worry in this moment. Let that be sufficient enough. That's what it is. So cognitive behavioral therapy, what it is, is it's thinking correctly. That's all it is. Thinking correctly. Now we're about to go in the scripture with this thing, but I want to, this whole basis of how to think correctly is challenging because I believe in this little thing called orthodox, orthodoxy, okay? And my views, as I've expressed before, is if you have a right orthodoxy, you'll have a right orthopraxy. Right theology produces correct behavior. If you have dysfunctional views about God, it will play out in your worries, your fears, your life. If you think that the the maker of the universe is playing games with you, it will mess with your emotions. If you think the God of the universe is looking for every opportunity for you to misstep so he can send you to hell, you might have anxiety. If you believe that if you make a mistake, that you got to do this all day long, I, I've, heard, I've heard this stuff that we do this all the time with God. This probably happened to me because I did something wrong. Don't we do that with God all the time? We have a, we have a orthodoxy that produces these behaviors that make us feel like God has left us. There's a revolving door in our heart where the Holy Spirit can come and go just as long as we are good and perfect. Right? Oh, I'm out of here. You messed up. Oh, I'm back in. Oh, I'm good. Okay, we're good now. Okay, I'm out of here again. Oh, oh, oh we're back in. Like God is, God is somehow just can't make up his mind whether or not he likes you. And notice I didn't use the word love. I used the word like, right? Because love, we just said, well, my, my, dad, my dad and mom love me, right? There's lots of people that love me, right? The pastor says, I love you, right? There, there's lots of people that, but, but, do, but you, do you get the sense that they, they are, they're warm towards you? Do you get the sense that, that, that God is kind towards you? Do you get the sense that God wants to be around you? Do, they, do you get the sense that God is actually into you, that he's really into you, that he really wants to be with you, that he really loves you? Like, like sometimes I go and see my son at night, right? And he's laying in bed. And if he ever says to me, Dad, can we snuggle tonight? 
there is, there is never a time. Ask my wife. Ask my wife. She's like, we got to get to bed. I'm like, but Jude wants me to snuggle. He wants me to snuggle. I got to snuggle. So, so I do. We snuggle, right? That's, that's the, the warmth of a father who, who actually wants to be with their child. And that's how God feels towards you. And so, let's go to the scripture. Luke 10, verse 38. All right. All right. Now they went on their way. Jesus entered a village. A woman welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha, it says Martha, was distracted with much serving. And she went up to, to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. Merimnos, here's the, here's the Greek word, there's that word again. And troubled by many things. And he says, but one thing, is mer- one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, a person who lives an anxious life, who is anxious, they have a very hard time concentrating. Their mind is in many different places, and usually it's in negative places, trying to resolve issues that they cannot resolve, and trying, actually letting go of things that are in their hand to do. And you need to ask yourself that question if you're struggling with anxiety. What are the things that I can do in front of me? What's the one thing? What's the thing in front of me? What's that one thing I can do in front of me that can benefit me? And what's the thing that I'm worried about that I need to relinquish, that I need to let go of? What are these other things that have me, the Greek word again, divided? Divided. What am I divided over? Am I letting the scriptures that tell me to not be worry about tomorrow, to not worry about tomorrow. Am I letting those scriptures give me the direction I need to take? <clears throat> okay, so let's get with let's get in the scripture. So first, first it talks about this. First it talks about that that Martha, that she was distracted with much serving. Now few characteristics about Martha that you should know by reading the scripture that, in my opinion, are very obvious, okay? Very, very obvious. Martha cares a lot. Does she not? Oh, we've, we've heard these sayings, right, about Mary and Martha, right? <laughs> we, are, we are so, we are, we are almost superstitious about Martha. Like, well, I'm a Mary and you're Martha. Don't you call me a Martha. Because we've heard so many negative messages about Martha, Right? We're almost like, don't you dare call me a Martha. I love to be at the feet of Jesus. Um, we, we, we're afraid of this, this thing. Listen, Martha, 
Martha was a, what, what appeared to be a very, very intelligent person. She's doing the right things, right? She's serving people, right? This is somebody coming into her home. This is not like some weird cultural experiment that Martha is performing. She is doing the right things, okay? She's doing the right things, okay? She's preparing things. She's on top of things. She's anticipating things. She's wanting to serve and there is nothing wrong with that. This has nothing to do with this scripture. This scripture talks nothing about, uh, well, Martha shouldn't have been serving, right? It doesn't, it's not saying that at all, is it? This scripture is talking about what's happening to Martha on the inside. Because isn't that the deal? It's the, the deal is here. It's not what you do here and here and here. It's what is happening inside. It's the distortions you have about God's expectations over you and your life. So Martha is, what we see is Martha, the Bible actually calls the house Martha's house. It doesn't call it Lazarus's house. It doesn't call it Mary's house. Now, I'm not sure the reason for that, but maybe Martha took a lot of ownership over that house. Maybe she was the one who was taking care of all the things. Who knows? Maybe she was a businesswoman and she was running that household similar to other women who in that time were running businesses and doing things like that. We just know this. Martha was running the show in this scenario. All right. Then we see that she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, Here's a deal that we just got to get in our mind. Here, here's another thing that these writers assumed we knew this information. This is why when we read these scriptures, we can't just assume it means the same to us as it did to them. Because they lived in a different time. They spoke a different language, right? So we have to recognize what was going on by Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. The first thing is, is that Torah should not, not have been taught to a woman, Period. The, the best teachers, the best rabbis of the time did not teach Torah. There were not women disciples. They didn't do it, right? So this woman, Mary, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, being taught by the Lord amongst the disciples, and this was not customary. Mary's observation of Jesus caused her thoughts and value system to be completely different. Mary almost seemed to not perceive that Martha was even in trouble. She was perceiving of what Jesus was speaking and doing and saying, and she was listening to him. This is the thing about anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression has become something that we have taken, like, I'm coming along here. Oh, anxiety and depression. Let's just pick this up. And we've just learned that everything is really about, right now, what we have and what we hold and what we identify with and our broken spots, right? And we walk around the world constantly holding these things. So what has become a thing of we need to be aware has become a thing of we need to take on. We need to take it on ourselves. We need to engage with it in the sense that we are actually wanting it to be a part of our everyday life. And this is the thing about anxiety is in our culture, there's so many things that are being said about what it is. 
And we do really need to understand it in a positive light to help us. So in this book, I was was explaining to you by Lucinda Bassett. She explains anxiety and depression. And she says that anxiety is something that we all have. And some people let it define their life. And she says, I let it define my life for many years. For many, many years. And this may sound crazy to you, but I have known people and of people who walk in anxiety and have walked in anxiety three, four, five panic attacks a day and go about their daily business. Do their daily, and they're, they're getting four hours of sleep every night. And they're having panic attacks and they keep moving forward. They keep moving forward. You need to take the next steps because I'm telling you this. If you let these things hold you back, they can hold you up. They can paralyze you. They can take you around and and hug you and not let you move past them, okay? So this, what we see here is Mary is saying, I'm not going to let this. So here's a few things. We kind of have to be a little countercultural. So I'm, I'm just going to share this with you. I, I have, there's a very dysfunctional relationship we have with social media because social media in itself, for the most part, is dysfunctional. For the most part. So social media is mostly uh, full of comparison, cheap rewards, lust, division, okay, our perceived threats, which are not actually real threats. So some of the anxiety, the threats that we feel that are producing the anxiety in our hearts, they're threats of things we've heard. Example, I need to have a house that looks like this house, right? Well, I need to live up to this expectation. I need to have this thing going for me. Look at this person has this thing going and that person has that thing going. I need to compare myself And I need to figure out how to get from here to where they're at. So we're looking around ourselves, and this thing of what we feel like is a threat is not actually a threat. Again, it's a simulation. When we are allowed to sit in his presence, we actually are made to be in his presence, to sit, to listen, to behold. These best studies, I I told you that, that this Prayer impacts our brain chemistry when we're literally able to shut it down. Shut it down. Do you know how to shut it down? Do you know how to turn it off? Okay, here's where we're going with this. Who remembers the thing that excited them the most when they were kids? What's that? Christmas. Oh, that's a good one. Birthdays. Oh, birthdays. Christmas. What else? Broncos. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. What's that? What's? Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh, there you go. Baseball. Baseball. All these things. This is, well, give me another one. What, you got another one? What is it? Candy and gum. Yes. We used to take penny candies, right? What? Barbies. Care Bears. This is wonderful. Okay. So they're learning the adverse effect that our current system, how it's producing dopamine, that's not really healthy. 
Dopamine is our brain chemistry that produces rewards. When I was a kid, and you were a kid, and we were all, some of us are kids, and some of us are still kids, we used to hit a baseball and we got dopamine. Right? It's a reward. It's a reward. It's the reward center of our brain. It actually produces motivation for us. It gives us motivation. It gives us motivation to move forward in life. It gives us motivation to conquer things. This is what's interesting. Cortisol and, 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 and adrenaline, the precursor is dopamine, which means that we get excited about something and we get this rush, right? And it's exciting. Did you know that's the same chemicals that you get anxiety from? The same chemicals. It's just how you're interpreting what's happening that's affecting how you feel. It's your interpretation of the chemicals that is affecting what you're doing. So here's what the problem is in our society. We used to actually get dopamine when we conquered something. We used to get it when we accomplished something. We used to get it when we got a good test, a good grade on our test. We used to get celebration days. I better stay in the light. John told me to stay in the light. Stay in the light. <laughs> we used to get all of these good feelings and emotions from doing things that were actually good and healthy for us. Did you know that when you take and you scroll to one thing and you say, that's boring, I'm going to go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, do you know that is building a reward system in your brain? And that reward system in your brain is you're getting rewarded for little likes on Facebook. You're, you, get, you post a meme, you get 50 likes. Your brain gives you rewards. You feel good about yourself. You didn't do nothing. You posted a Star Wars meme. <laughs> Yay, you. But yet, we're getting these hits of dopamine from these moments. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I do it all the time, right? It's fun. Social media is fun. It can be fun. You just can't put everything into it, right? Well, our kids and my generation, a little bit below my generation, the, the elder millennials, the millennials, and the next generation, we are learning reward systems based on things that like this. So what does this produce? We don't really understand the effect that dopamine has on anxiety. Because dopamine is where we get the word dope. It's a drug. Dopamine is your reward center. So guess what? When you do cocaine, your dopamine goes up three times its normal levels. When you look at pornography, dopamine goes up two or four times its normal levels. When you, when you use these things to, for your mood re regulation, your dopamine goes up two, three, four times its normal level and drops below baseline. Guess what ends up happening? Anxiety. Shakes. Tremors. Why? Because the cortisol and the epinephrine are there, but no dopamine. So how do you rebuild your dopamine? Well, guess what? You have to go back to the good rewards. The good rewards are things like family, are things like love, are things like the presence of God. Why? Because you don't need these heights. You don't need these extreme three to four times 
above the normal level heights of dopamine. You need your dopamine levels to be here. Now we're getting the chemistry part of it, but you need them to be here. You need them to be steady so they don't go. This is what drug addiction is. It's reaching, crash, reaching, crash. Porn addiction does the same thing. Reaching, crash, reaching, crash. Do you think there's a tie into this? Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's get back to Mary and Martha. What we're seeing, the difference we're seeing between Mary and Martha is not what Martha's doing versus what Mary is doing. It's what Martha is thinking about constantly, worried about, anticipating over, constantly turning the inner murmur, the inner murmur. I must be what they need me to be. I must act how they want me to act. I must fit in the way they want me to fit in. And Jesus is saying, stop. Stop where you're at. Stop in your tracks. When I say countercultural, we have to change how we use these. So let me give you a recommendation. I downloaded this app called Custodio, and my wife is in charge of it, and she literally can turn on things, turn off things, change things, do whatever she wants to do. She is Lord over the phones. All the kids' phones, my phones, right? This has all the protection I need on it. I don't ever have to worry about seeing something pop up that shouldn't pop up or anything like that because it won't. And if, if there is something that happens that shouldn't happen, she gets a signal right away. Guess what? She can turn off the phones. She can turn off the internet. She can turn off apps. She can do whatever she wants because she's in charge of it. We need to treat these things like Jesus says, cut off your hand and pluck out your eye. If it's causing you this dysfunction in your life, you need to figure out a way to cut some things off that give you freedom. Freedom. Because this being trapped is not freedom, right? It's not fun to constantly feel the need to check and look and, and look again and look again. And listen, if you're looking right now, I don't have a problem with you looking. I don't have a problem with you, you know, flipping. It happens, right? I'm not saying, I'm saying we have to release us. And the way to release, right? It's through, it's actually through submission. It's actually submitting to something that's better. That's better. It's, yes, exactly. So, so, so here, here Martha goes, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. I met people like this. I've met people, I had them in my church, where their anxieties, I, I'm shocked, right? By the way, when I read this, I don't know about you, but... Martha's talking to the son of God like, 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 like it's her kid. Tell her to, tell her to do what I want her to do, Jesus. Right? And, and Jesus says, no. Jesus says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to tell. Listen, Martha. And he, he was compassionate. He wasn't like, hey, shut up, shut up, woman. He didn't do that. Man in the church, you better take a lesson. You better not be. I, 
You hear what I'm saying? He, he didn't do that. No, he was kind. He was compassionate to her. He spoke with kindness, and he says, Martha, Martha. By the way, whenever you hear that Martha, Martha double, it's for emphasis. It means he was really trying to get her attention, really trying to get her attention. And he says to her, he says, he says, you're anxious about so many things. Why are you worried about all these things? Why are you worried about all these different things? He says, listen, Mary, Mary has chosen the one thing. He says, there's really only one thing you need to worry about. He says, there's really only one thing you need to worry about. That's crazy, right? No, wait, that doesn't sound right. Because, I mean, look at, look at all we have to schedule, and look at all we have to plan, and look at all the things we have to do. What do you mean, Jesus, there's really only one thing that we need to be worried about? What do you mean? Does he, is, this sounds so countercultural, doesn't it? Do you feel like an American still when you read this? Do you feel like, oh, I, man, I worry about things. In fact, right now as we speak, I'm worried about the next move after church this today. So we're going to go on for another hour, so just stay put, okay? <laughs> that was a joke. I hope you know. <laughs> that's, that's actually rare for Steve, because I don't, I don't know. Steve's not the kind of person that works through that, so... Uh, <laughs> that's why it was a joke, yes. Okay, so, so, so Jesus says there's only one thing that's necessary. Uh, there's only one thing that's necessary. One thing. You have to align yourself with one thing. Uh, again, I say this. A right theology produces right actions. Now, what some people think is my ideal, I sometimes think it's your idol, not your ideal. It's the thing that I must be this super person. I must have this thing. I must have this beauty. I must have this accomplishment. I must have this event. I must be liked by these people. This is why the church, although at times, I'm not saying about this church, but I'm saying at times, the church can be really good at fixing problems, immoral problems, problems like lust and, uh, lust and, and drug addiction and this kind of stuff. And, and things like this and things like pride can actually increase in environments that are religious and legalistic. Things like anxiety and fear and pride and greed can increase in church environments that are religious and not kind and compassionate and loving. So you have to have your Jesus, your G, you have to have aligned with who Jesus actually is and how he loves you and how he cares for you. And so Jesus makes a statement. He says, Matthew 6, 31, I suppose you can probably turn. Um, he says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly no father knows what you, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, today, there's a lot of troubles. Stop anticipating 
Stop being ahead of God. Stop moving past him. It says, submit under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will reward, he will lift you up, he will bring you forward. He is your justifier. He is your vindicator. He's your dad. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is your all in all, and he will be there, and he is there. He is there. So, I'm going to give a few simple steps right now, and then I'm going to teach you how to meditate on Scripture. Okay, I'm going to just, we're just going to go through, I only got 15 minutes, so I got to make this fast. Um, So how can we reset our physiology? For example, if you have panic, resetting your physiology, I'll, I'll say what I do. This is what I do. I do, this is physiologically speaking. This will help you for a moment, but it will not clear your long-term anxiety. There are things you have to do to clear your long-term anxiety. One of those things is you have to let yourself off the hook at times, okay? You have to stop being so angry with it. Being unkind to yourself will not help your anxiety. Being, feeling shame and guilt over what you're feeling will not help your anxiety. You gotta let yourself off the hook, and you actually have to engage with the moment Okay, you have to say, I am strugg- I'm fighting through this. I'm struggling with this. Okay, so diaphragm breathing is a physiological thing. What a diaphragm breathing is, is it's actually a breath into your stomach, right? You should feel fat when you do this. Okay, why is this helpful? Why is this, what is this all about? Okay, so listen, long, so three seconds in, maybe five seconds out. Why would this be helpful? It's helpful because your cortisol and adrenaline, this actually tells your system that the threat is no longer there. So when you do this, this chest stuff right there, that actually triggers it. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. That triggers it. Your lungs become tight. Okay? This is what people feel like when they're having a panic attack. They feel like they are either suffocating, they're having a heart attack. Why? Because of the constriction on their chest. They feel like they are, um, some, some, because of the impending doom feelings that come in your brain, you literally feel like you, you're, you're, you're in a hell place. Okay? Like, if you tell a person when they're in the middle of a panic attack that you have a demon, I'm going to tell you what, you will, you will not break that off of that person for a few weeks. Because they will be, it doesn't, everything that when you have anxiety, all that adrenaline is releasing into your system, and everything that happens in that moment, your brain believes is true, even if it's a lie. So what you need to do is you need to speak truth, you need to take a moment away, you need to diaphragm breathe, and you need to quote the right scriptures, the right ones. I'm going to tell you what, there are scriptures in the Bible that they are not for me. God never told me to build an ark. If you quote that scripture to me while I'm having a pan, that will do nothing. Right? Listen, don't, don't play Bible bingo when you're having a panic attack. What, give me a word, give me a word. What are you doing? You're escaping your anxiety. Anxiety is pain. It's pain is what it is. It's internal pain. And by escaping it, it makes it worse. You, you, you don't escape it. Okay? You face it. Do not do avoidance actions. I can't do this. I need to escape. I need to escape to this. I need to escape to that. Now, change your setting. Change your environment. That's a good thing. You know, get out to where you're at. Take a moment. 
okay? But what you, what you shouldn't do with, what people do with anxiety is they let their anxiety tell them not to do things in life. And guess what? When anxiety gives you, when anxiety, when you're fighting with anxiety and you give anxiety some headway, your anxiety becomes like, you, you actually tell your brain to obey the voice of anxiety and you can't do that. Okay, so mission, vision, you have to define your why and where. You have to define something in your life that you're going forward in because otherwise you will be moved with all of those emotions, right? So you have to define your why and where. That's an important part. I know that that sounds like not something important, but it's extremely important to have mission. When you find your mission, it's interesting what happens in, in the, we talk about the brain chemistry and all this stuff, okay? Um, so here's the three choices, and I, I read this through um, Caroline Leaf. Um, Caroline Leaf's book, um, um, Switch Your Brain On, she's a, a neuroscientist, uh, extremely smart. She, she says this, she says, there are three choices we have in facing difficult situations. This will help us. There's avoidance, ignorance, right? You get a phone call from the doctor, you just don't call him back. That's not good. You don't avoid, you don't ignore, okay? The second thing, you don't catastrophize while you ignore. Oh, it could be this, it could be that, oh, I'm dying, I'm this, I'm dying, right? Don't, don't let your brain go to that place. If it keeps going to that place, then you have to make choices that go against that. And then the third choice you have is, is faced with two realities. The first reality is God has a kingdom and an answer to every problem, okay? So there's a reality of the reality of you're dealing with now, but there's also the reality of God's kingdom. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, Bruno. Okay, so let's, let's end with this. So, all right, 85% of the things that we worry about never happen. This is a book from the book The Worry Cure by Robert Lehigh, okay? It's a book um, that actually tells us and communicates to us about how our worries are actually not grounded or founded in reality. A lot of times our worries are just things that we've catastrophized, okay? All right, so let's end with, uh, Rome. turn with me to Romans chapter, Romans chapter 8. All right. All right, meditation. Meditation means that what you're reading has to become your reality. And everything you're reading, you have to identify the implications of what you're reading. The implications meaning, if this is true, then what does this say about my life right now? So, let's read verse, let's start Romans chapter eight and verse 27. Let's just start here. It says, and he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then it goes on to say, and we know that all those who love God and are called all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So when we read these scriptures, 
we have to read the implications of these scriptures. You don't just pass over these scriptures, you look into these scriptures and you say, what is this saying about what I'm dealing with right now? And what it says, what it's telling us is that the spirit is doing things on your behalf that you don't know. What it's telling you is the things you're anxious about, the Holy Spirit knows about. What it's telling you, you read into it and you see all things work together for the good. My anxiety. Wait, I thought anxiety was bad. God can take your anxiety and work it for the good. All things. It doesn't say some things. It says all things. All things. We read this scripture. We say, we read this scripture in the later text and it says, that he who did not withhold his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? All things, all things. God has your good in mind. When we meditate on these scriptures, what are we doing? We're rewiring our brain to realize God loves me. He loves me. I am his. I am his, I am his. He, it, it, it literally says he predestined those whom he foreknew to walk and to be conformed into the image of his son. He is working things out even if we are going in a different direction. Some of us, God just has a really long leash on us right now, right? And he's working things out that you don't see. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. If you'd like to find out more about who we are, we invite you to check out our website or feel free to download the Church Center app. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to listen to more of our sermons and messages, you can find us on YouTube and Spotify. We love you, God bless you, and thank you for tuning in to Catch the Fire Boulder.